All praises to the Most High, Yahuwah, and His Son, Yahusha. I am Boyce Washington, and on the other side of me is the Pastor Richard Washington, and we would like to say Shalom and welcome to the Science of the Covenant podcast. We want you to know we're almost about a week and a half or so, uh, not this Wednesday coming up, but the Wednesday after that, Wednesday the 28th, we want to remind you, we will be celebrating the Feast of Trumpets on September the 28th for at 1 p.m. and again at 7 p.m. to close it out. Again, we'll be celebrating the Feast of Trumpets Wednesday, September the 28th at 1 p.m. and 7, p- 7 p.m. If you have been following us, we have been... Uh, studying as the pastor has been giving us studies on the science of the sea. If you haven't heard it, please follow back at our anchor.com or Google podcasts or the podcast that's associated with Apple. Look up science of the covenant or Psycove. You can find our podcast there. I encourage you. If you haven't heard the whole series, you want to listen to the whole series and understand because each week he has built on top of each other in his deciphering of the science of the sea. So pastor, I understand this week will be on the 13th part of the science of the sea. Yeah, that is correct. Uh, this should conclude this particular series uh, on this. And then we'll be going into the, uh, the holidays or the holy days that Elohim has established, uh, but this should be the last one on this particular series. Okay, sounds good. All right, what we want to do is uh, continue our study uh, on this particular uh, subject. We're trying to emphasize how Yeshua, the Messiah, is the son of Elohim and how it has been questioned, even in Christianity, whether he is the son of Elohim by the way that they portray a trinity that we looked at uh, last eve- last week. And we want to be more definitive in understanding that he is liter- literally the son of Elohim. And when he was having his trial among uh, Herod and Pilate and all of the uh, uh, Ananias and all of them, they questioned him to such an extent that they were infuriated with the fact that he being a man called himself the son of Elohim. And they understood when he said he was Elohim, he was actually saying he was Elohim himself. And that infuriated him. And so I think to a large extent, even in the world of Christendom, they are afraid to literally say he's the son of Elohim. So they had the hand of Trinity, but the Bible doesn't teach teach anything about a trinity. It only teaches that Elohim is Elohim, and he has never had a beginning, but he did have a son, and he brought him to existence. So this is what we want to look at. So as we get ready to go into our subject today, let us have a word of prayer. Eternal Father, we thank you for another privilege to be able to celebrate and to enter into another Shabbat. And as we continue to study the subject about your son, the one in whom you have given to this world, that we may understand that he was literally your son. He was the one that helped create the world and also to redeem it. So as we go forth in this subject today, we ask that you would bless us, bless my host, bless each listener, bless me as I should give the discourse, and most of all, bless those who read and understand this subject even if they're not with us here today, but in other times. Bless all of us who are online this day, that the power of the Holy Spirit may glue our minds to the truth of the matter. And when you have done for us that which we ask, we'll continue to give you the praise, the honor, and the glory. For you only are worthy. Pray this prayer in the name of Yeshua, the Messiah. And for his dear sake, we do pray. Amen and amen. Amen. Okay. Uh, I'm going to give a little background as we go into our subject today. Uh, we had divided our subject uh, into three uh, time frames. The first time frame, frame was the pre-creation chronology. That was before uh, 
the creation was established, and we saw how Yeshua was the son of Elohim. And then we de dealt with the uh, present creation chronology, which meant the time when this world was created until it is destroyed and he started a new earth. That was considered the present creation. Now, on this 13th uh, part of our study, we are talking about the post-creation chronology, which means after he created a new heaven and, and a new earth, was he still the son of Elohim, or would he be changed into a, another form? So this is what we're going to look at, the post-creation chronology. So thus far, we have dealt with the two time frames, respectively, of which we call the pre-creation chronology and the present creation chronology. And these chronological frameworks, we have attempted to point out that Yeshua was the son of Yah before the creation of our world, and he was the son of Yah when he came into this world. Now we will be attempting to explore Yeshua's sonship to his father after Yah establish, establishes a new heaven and a new earth. And this will be in the chronological framework we reference to as the time commencing the restoration of the new heavens and the new earth. And we'll call this the post-creation chronology. When we speak in terms of post-creation chronology, it is in reference to the time period from the recreation of this world and its heavenly surroundings after the annihilation of the old universe, it will be from the restoration period to eternity. So when we look at uh, the post-creation, we are taking it from the time he has gone ahead and made a new heaven and a new earth, and throughout eternity we want to establish the sonship of his son. Now, in the restoration of Yah's new uh, world order, our universe will revert back to Elohim's intended order of things prior to the entrance of iniquity. So, when we look at, look at, look at the uh, the world that Yah has given after He has recreated, we want to establish. Uh, his uh, sonship as well. So as we look at his sonship, we want to be able to discern that the one in whom we call the son of Elohim, uh, will he remain his son or will there be some kind of a, a, a change in, in, his, in his nature? Now, if Yah would change his order of things after he recreates a new world, then this would mean that what he initially created was not perfect in the first place. However, when we return, when he returns back to his order of things, he will not only restore the corrupt elements which have polluted the earth's environment, he will also restore his calendar which he established in the form of creation. Much of what the man-made religion rejected of Yah's word will again come into being as it started off in the former creation. The latter creation will be of such a nature that even though the former things will be restored, yet he will yet we will experience a new creation not void of Yah's laws, commandments, judgments, testimonies, or statutes, but rather the new world will be new, not in the sense of doing away with what was revealed to Moses in the Torah. Rather, the newness will be a world free from transgression, transgression and what a wonderful world this would be. In the new world to come, then and only then will we see fully how the covenant laws given to Moses express Yah's bountiful love 
which fills the entire universe. Once having restored this world to a new earth and recreated the new heavens, Yeshua will still remain his, his sonship to his father and to the human family as a son of man. In the eternal future, Elohim will maintain his heavenly and earthly nature throughout eternity. How do we know that Yeshua will maintain his sonship throughout eternity? In doing so, let us consider two biblical references which support Yeshua remaining Yah's son and his human nature throughout eternity. Let us consider some of the scriptural texts which both speak about Yeshua's life and his ex existence after he establishes the new heaven and the new earth. Here in the book of Revelation, Yeshua is given the title or the description of the morning star. Consequently, that he is described as the morning star says a lot about Yeshua's sonship. Let us take the title, the morning star, and closely examine it. Let us first start with the sonship of a star. Okay, we want to start with that. And I think the text that we want to go to is Revelation chapter 2. And we want to look at verse 38. Revelation 2, 38. Okay. Now, when we turn into our scriptures in Revelation 2, uh, 28, that is, Revelation 2, 28, and it's talking about Yeshua, the Messiah, and it says, and I will give him the morning star. Okay. He said, I will give him the morning star. Now, when we look at that morning star, is referring to Yeshua the Messiah. So let us look at the sonship of a star. Now, when we speak about the sonship of a star, we are talking about the celestial family of the sun, moon, and stars personified as a human family. So the human family is being characterized by what we call the human family. We call the son, we call the father, and the moon, we call the mother. And as we do that, what we are doing is we are comparing in a sort of like a personification uh, the heavenly bodies as they compare to the human race. So what we want to do is to make some comparison there. So here it says in Revelation 2, 28, that he was the morning star. Okay, so when we look at uh, um, uh, 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 the heavens and we see the sun, moon, and the stars, let's see what they represent. And so now we want to turn to Genesis, in Genesis chapter 37. Okay, in Genesis chapter 37, we want to look at uh, uh, the verses 19. Well, let me see what we have here. Verses 9 and 10. We want to look at uh, Genesis chapter 37. And in 37... We're going to look at verses 9 and 10 in that particular uh, chapter. And this is talking about the dream. Uh, well, actually, a couple of the, the dreams that uh, Joseph had. However, we want to look at the second dream that he had, that second dream. And as we look at the second dream, then I think uh, we'll be able to see uh, some correlation of Yeshua being the morning star, okay? All right, now here in Leviticus, not Leviticus, but in uh, Genesis 37, verses 9 and 10, and it reads thusly, 
And he dreamed yet another dream, and he told it his brethren, and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more, and behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. So here Joseph is relating to his brethren that he had a dream, and in his dream he saw that the sun and the moon and the eleven stars were bowing down to him. And he, he told that dream to them, okay? So when we speak about the sonship of a star, we are talking about the celestial family of the sun, moon, and the stars personified as a human family. So here we are told in Genesis concerning Joseph's second dream about his brothers and his father and his mother. Uh, Joseph is relating to them a dream that Elohim had given to him that would be fulfilled in the future. But what we want to take from this particular dream is that what we want to notice about this dream is what Jacob, his father, said about it. Now, here in verse 9 in the 37th chapter, we are given the description of the dream. Now, Joseph, uh, not Joseph, but Jacob now gives the interpretation of the uh, of the dream. Now, he states that he dreamed a yet another dream, and so his father is now going to come in and interpret that dream. And let's see what his father has to say. Now, his father is also known to have had dreams, too. You know, Jacob had some dreams. And he responded to his son's dream in verse 10. And we want to look at that. Now, in verse 10, he went on to explain what Joseph had dreamed. And the Bible says in Genesis 37, verse 10, and he told it to his father and to his brethren. And his father rebuked him and said unto him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee, to the earth? So he is saying here, Am I and your mother and your brethren, your 11 brethren, are they going to bow down? Remember, the dream was that the that the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars, and the reason why they had 11 stars was because Joseph was the 12th star, and he was the one that they was going to bow down to. And so here we are seeing that when it talks about the sun, it's talking about the father. When it talks about the moon, it's talking about the mother. And when it's talking about the stars, it is talking about the suns. So let us now concentrate on the relationship between the celestial bodies of light and the human family. Jacob speaks about the celestial lights in the following comparison. The father as the sun, the mother as the moon, and the 11 stars as, and the 11 brothers as the stars. So that's the family constellation. Now, let us turn now to the book of Revelation, in the book of Revelation, chapter 12. Okay. Now, when we turn to the book of Revelation, we are uh, further told concerning the stars, which are a part of the crown on, 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 on the uh, head of the true church. So we want to turn to Revelation, chapter 12. Now, Revelation chapter 12, we want to look at verse number 1, Revelation 12, 1. Now, when we look at Revelation 12, 1, it says, And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of 12 stars. Okay? So here again, we're talking about the stars. Now, when we look at this particular verse, when it speaks about the stars, we want to know who possibly could the stars be. 
they all, they would all be considered sons, these stars. Therefore, if Yeshua is spoken of as a star, naturally, we would also ascribe to him sonship as well. Because the stars are the sons. They are the brothers. So if Yeshua was a, referred to as a star, then he too must be a son or a brother. Now, moreover, we are told from the book of Revelation that stars also represent angels in both the Hebrew and the Greek language, respectively, the words for angel is Malik and Angelos. Well, those are the words for angels. They both carry the same meaning. And they mean a messenger or an agent. So when we talk about a star, they can represent angels as well. And if you recall that angels were also uh, called messengers, okay, they were also called messengers. Now, all angels aren't those which have wings like cherubims and seraphims. Cherubim have two wings and a seraphim have six wings. Now, all, all angels are not uh, of that caliber. They are, they are angels, but they are also angels that come in human form. If you remember when uh, Moses was leading the people of Elohim, then Yeshua, who was in that cloud by day and pillar of fire by night, he was referred to as, as Yah's angel, as a messenger. And then when we also read about Abraham, the Bible says that two angels and Yah, or the Lord, as, as, as the Bible says, two angels and the Lord came down to visit Abraham and also Lot. And two of the men, the Bible says, went, two of the angels went to see Lot, but they looked like human beings. And so when they got to Lot's house, uh, the people who wanted to have a relationship with these men, they said, bring these men out. So we know that they look like men. But it says the Lord stayed with Abraham. So while the two angels or the two men went to deal with Lot, he stayed with Abraham to uh, bless him about the coming of, a, uh, 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 of him having a son, he and Sarah. But what I'm trying to point out here is that usually when you deal with a son uh, or a star, that is, the star can be an angel in a sense of a cherubim or a seraphim, but it also can be a man. It can be an agent or it can be a messenger. That's what an angel is. So when we look at an angel, an angel is one who is represented by a star and could be a man or an angelic in the form of having wings. Okay, now let us turn to another text found in the book of Daniel. We'll look at Daniel chapter 12, Daniel chapter 12. And in the 12th chapter of Daniel, we want to look at verse number three. Now notice what it says. In verse three, it says, and they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament. And they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. Now notice those of us who are his servants and we are trying to turn many to righteousness, he said they will be spoken of as being stars forever and ever. So if Yeshua is portrayed as a star, then we can draw the conclusion that he was a son. He was a son. Never do, you never, never do we read in the Holy Writ that the father was referred to as a star. He never is only referred to Yeshua, his son, as a star. Yeshua is not only spoken of as a star, but he is called the morning star. There are at least two references made of Yeshua being 
the morning star. And one of the references calls him the bright and morning star. However, some refer to Yeshua as the bright morning star. Some says the bright and morning star, but some say, some translations say, the bright morning star. However, some refer to Yeshua, you know, as the star. Moreover, a morning star in ancient times was thought to herald in a new day. So let us look at Yeshua as the morning star. Let us look at him as the morning star. So let's turn back to the book of Revelation and want to look at a verse we've already studied. And then in conjunction, we want to read another, another verse. That's Revelation chapter 2 and verse 18. Revelation 2.18 again. Yeah, 2.18, Revelation 2.18. Let me see. Now here we read in Revelation 2.18... Let me see. No, we want uh, no two twenty-eight. I think I made a mistake. I want two two twenty. Well, I'll tell you. We want you Revelation two eighteen. We can use that too. It said, "And unto the angel of the church in Thyatira write: These things says the Son of Elohim." Okay. Now the Bible says that Elohim is revealing something to John. He says, "These things says the Son of Elohim." Who have eyes let like unto a flame of fire, and his feet like fine brass. Now, now notice he's talking to the Thyatira church, the Thyatira church, okay, and is letting us know who's speaking, and it describes him uh, as the son of Elohim, and it describes him with like um, eyes of flames and when you looked at his feet they were fine like brass so 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 it's talking about him giving a message to John about this church and then at the end of the message almost at the last part of giving the message to John he says and I will give him the morning star and that morning star was Yeshua of this church he was talking about okay so we are seeing him as the morning star. Now let us turn to Revelation chapter 22. In Revelation chapter 22, we want to look at verse number 16. So now here in Revelation 22, 16, it says, Yeshua the Messiah, or, or I, Yeshua, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the assemblies. I am the root of and the offspring of David, and the bright and morning star. Okay, again, so Yeshua is being addressed as the bright and the morning star. Again, even though one text says the morning star, the latter text says the bright and morning star. So let's look at the morning star. In these two texts in Revelation, there are two Greek words used for the word morning. In Revelation 2.28, the word for morning is pronos, pronos, P-R-O-I-N-O-S, pronos. And it means earth, and it means early or former, early or former. In Revelation 22.16, the word is orthrenos, orthrenos. O-R-T-H-R-I-N-O-S, orthrenos, and it means of an early dawn. So apparently the morning star has something to do with ursury in a new day. The brightest celestial lights in, in the sky outside of the sun and the moon is the bright and the morning star. Since we have discovered in scripture that the son represents the father and the and and the moon represents the mother and the star represents a brother or a son therefore for yeshua to be referred to 
as the star would mean that he is a son in relationship to his father and he is in relationship to the human race as our elder brother. So what we are looking at basically here, that he, at this time, according to the location in the Bible, especially in Revelation 22, we are talking about a time after he had established the new creation. This is in the new world. He's still being referred to as the morning star. Now, now what we want to look at is some other evidence of him being the son. Okay, now this time we want to look at what we call the lamb. Okay, we want to look at Revelations 21. Revelation 21 and also 22. Okay, but we want to start with Revelation chapter 20, 21. Now, in these passages, what we'll be uh, accenting is that of the Lamb, okay? Now, here in Revelation chapter 20, 21, uh, we are giving uh, a description given to Yeshua in the book of Revelation is that of a Lamb. He is mentioned a number of times in this book as a Lamb. However, particularly... Do we notice in chapters 21 and 22 that when it talks about him being a lamb, it is after he has established a new world order, after he has established the new heavens and the new earth, and we are now in the new creation. And this is what we want to see in the new creation, or what we call the post-creation uh, chronology, after the new heavens and the new earth has been established, we want to see what they call him. So what is it that we can deduce from him being called the lamb? Okay, now here in Revelations 21, and we're looking at uh, verse 9, Revelation 21, 9. Okay, now here we read in Revelation 21, 9, and, and it tells us, it says, and there came unto me one of the seven angels which had the seven vows full of the seven last plagues. And he talked with me, saying, Come hither, I will show thee the bride, the lamb's wife. So it talks about the bride, the lamb's wife. Now, who was his wife? His wife was the assembly, the church. The lamb's wife was the church. Okay. And he said, I want to show you her. Okay. But what we're looking at, he still calls himself the Lamb. Okay. Now let us look. Go to verse 14 of the same chapter, Revelation 21, and it says, "And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and in them the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb." So he had the wife of the Lamb, and now we have the apostles of the Lamb. Okay. Now in this same 21st chapter of Revelation. Let us now look at verses 22 through 23. And here we are told, And I saw no temple therein, for the Yahuwah Elohim Almighty and the Lamb of the temple of it. Okay. He said, he said I saw no temple. And this word for temple is a different word than for the heavenly tabernacle. But since we're not dealing with the sanctuary, we're not going to go into it. But there was a temple, but this is talking about another type of scenario here. So he's saying that when you look, you didn't see a temple, but what you did see is Yehoah. And when you saw him, you also saw the lamb. He's referred to as the lamb. So the father and the lamb are still significant in the scenario of what we are talking about. And then uh, when we look at verse 23, it says, And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it, for the glory of Elohim did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. Now, the Bible said that the city that we will be in, it had no need of the light of the sun, nor of the moon. Why was that? 
because when he established the new heavens and the new earth, he established the moon and the sun. Now, if you understand that in the Bible, it teaches about three heavens. Now, the first heaven is the airy heaven where the, where the birds, where they fly. That's the first heaven. And then above the airy heaven or the, uh, the, uh, or, or the heaven where the birds fly in the airplanes and the rockets and all that, they had another heaven they call the celestial heaven where the sun and the moon and the stars were. Okay, and so when he recreated the world, uh, he didn't recreate the sun and the moon because they would never destroy it. But he did destroy the atmospheric heaven where the birds, where they fly. He destroyed that, and he made that anew. He got a lot of space uh, junk out there. He had to get rid of that. But this, but the starry heaven that already re, that remained, but that's in the second heaven. Now, the third heaven is where Elohim is. And so they didn't need the light of the sun and the moon. Why? Because they were above the stars and the moon, so they didn't need that. But the light that they did get when they got to heaven was the light of the Father and also the light of the sun. And this takes us all the way back to Genesis when Genesis says, let there be light. Because if they were light in the city, the Father was light, and the lamb who is the son was like, then this was meant that when they had their creation on the first day of the week, and he said, let there be light, did that light come from? Father was like, and so if the father was like, he had a son, then that son was the light. And as they refer to him as the bright morning star, even when Yeshua was in the world, he said, I am the light of the world. And even though Satan was called Lucifer, Lucifer means the carrier of light. He carried the light that Elohim gave. But when it comes to Yeshua, he was not just a light carrier. He was the light. And this is why when he was here on earth, he said, I am the light of the world. So we see here that as the lamb, he is not only the light of the world, but he's also the lamb. But the lamb gives off the light to help irradiate the heavenly city to give light to the heavenly city along with his father. Okay. Okay. Now let us turn to revelation chapter uh, uh, 21. And this time we want verse 27 revelation <clears throat> chapter 21 and verse 27 says this. And there shall be in no wise enter into it. Talking about this city, anything that defiled it, neither Whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. Okay, now what we're seeing here is not only do we see the Lamb's wife, the Lamb apostles, but now we're seeing the Lamb's book of life. So it speaks about the Lamb's book of life is where all of the redeemed are recorded. And this is called the book of life. Moreover, it is called the Lamb's book of life. Why is it called the Lamb's book of life? Because he was the Lamb that was slain for us to give us redemption. And he has a book. And all of those who are found in the Lamb's book will be saved. But anything that defile or abomination, that won't enter into the book, and they won't have eternal life. But those who will have eternal life, that will be able to have a life that will be at the extent of eternity will be those who are in that book. And this is what we are striving to do is to be in that book. And so he talks about the Lamb's book of life. So what do we deduce from this? Well, this meant that Yeshua was our sacrifice in heaven will extol him as our savior throughout eternity. We have a life that will measure with the life of Elohim once we are redeemed. We'll continue to live forever and ever and ever on the other side of eternity. Eternity past, present, and then eternity future, we'll continue to live 
and he'll continue to be the lamb. He'll continue to be the star. There's no other being in heaven or on earth whom the Bible calls the lamb other than the son of Elohim. And even when we are experiencing the new world, he will still be Yah's son. Father in heaven, as we see that he was the son in the beginning and the son in the present and the son in the future, that we may be able to extol and to lift him up for the great redemption that he has given to us because he was an obedient son. And as we see him as a star and as a lamb, we know he will always be your son throughout eternity. And he will be always be our brother throughout eternity. Now, Heavenly Father, help us to appreciate the great gift that you have given us by being obedient to the claims that he has given through your Torah and through your holy word. In Yeshua's name, we do ask it. And for his dear sake, we do pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen. Uh, wh uh, why do you think religions are scared to acknowledge Yahusha as Yah's son? Well, as I, my assessment is, is that uh, I'm going to give it, uh, I'm going to look at it from a, at least a couple of ways. I think a lot of uh, people are regurgitating uh, what others say. They, they haven't studied it out themselves. So it's easier to go with the crowd. You know, that was a time uh, even in the Advent Church, when I read this literature, that they they, they didn't believe in a, tr in a trinity. Uh -huh. And um, they had a general conference over, and I think it was in Australia. At that particular general conference, they voted that they would accept a trinity. Uh -huh. But if you look at James White, Ellen White, and a lot of the uh, other uh, pioneers of our faith, they were not trinarians. They were not Okay, and then other churches, um, I think they're seminaries that teaches their pastors and things. I think they use modern theology, but they don't really get it from the Bible in the sense of really studying it, studying it, it out. So when you look at our schools that are promoting it and you look at the uh, uh, people who are promoting it, they are doing it mainly because their denomination is pushing it, mm -hmm. okay? And and so I, 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 I think that has a lot to do with it. And then I think the second uh, thing that I would look at is we might, they, 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 they push, a, push a trinity, and this may be a little far-fledged, but I, I think it has a lot of credence, is that the Catholics who developed this thing called the trinity, mm -hmm. I think they have infiltrated churches you know, a lot of people may be Catholics within the in ranks of the Catholic Church, especially in some of the higher uh, ranks of the church. And we are not really seeing them mm -hmm. because when you look at our church, the reason, one of the reasons why they changed the church terminal from days of old, and I mean, this is not the only reason, but one of the reasons is, is because when they started accepting the Trinity from that Australia uh, General Conference meeting, Mm -hmm. they instituted in some songs in, the, in our church hymnal, they started instituting uh, the word Trinity, which was not there before. Mm -hmm. They actually literally changed the song and put Trinity in there. So what I'm saying on the second reason is I think outside of the fact of the Bible not talking about it and people going to schools that are teaching it, that the Roman Catholics have sent in their spies into these churches and have influenced us to the degree of accepting, uh, of accepting that and not just, and if you accept it, then that means that you're really not seeing the son of Elohim as to who he is. Now, who these people are in our ranks, I don't know. They, they probably done blended in so uniquely that we haven't put our fingers on them uh -huh. to really see. But my, my way, if you really want to see uh, who was promoting the Trinarian views in the church and who are the Jesuits or the, or those who are in the ranks of our churches is to look at the doctrines that they are pushing because you got to go to a person. Uh -huh. And if you see who are pushing it, then I think 
you would see uh, the Roman Catholic influence in the church. Um, now, you also said that the uh, atmospheric heaven was destroyed. And when, when was this mm -hmm. destroyed? Was it with the flood? Or? Uh, no, no, we weren't talking about the flood. No, we, uh -huh. remember, we're talking about the future. Oh, oh okay. Okay. Turn, okay, it's going to yeah. be destroyed in the future. Yeah, well, let's turn to the book of Peter. Let me see. I think Peter talks about that. Let me see. Let me see. Yeah. Okay, here in the book of Second uh, Peter, chapter 3, it says, Looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of Yahuwah, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. See, that, that, that heaven is going to be, the atmosphere is going to be destroyed. And once he destroys that, mm -hmm. then he's going to make that anew again. And, and, of course, they're never able to touch the sun and the moon. They say they went to the moon, but I, I, I don't know. Man, I, I, don't, I don't know if they went to no moon. Yeah, um, there was actually a guy who's a major filmmaker who said he was the one responsible for uh, shooting the great deception of man making it to the moon. Mm -hmm. and everything i think a uh, big name stanley krubik who just died mm -hmm. and he said it not too long before he died mm -hmm. and everything and all. but um you know i just wonder too uh in other worlds do they even have a heaven i wonder was was the heaven there when he created or i'm wondering did he put that dome to keep us in after sin entered the world, no, I think I think it was all there before sin. Yeah. Okay, because in you know we we primarily read the books of the uh, of the Bible uh, that uh, was given to us in King James, but you mm -hmm. know in the Sefer Bible, you know you got the Book of Jubilees and the Book of Enoch, and they talk about the gates. Yeah, and even in the King James Bible, it, it it's uh, it, it it's it speaks about Pleiades and Orion and Arturus. Mm -hmm. And when you look out there, even the scientists are saying there's a black hole out there. Mm -hmm. And they said, when you take a, a telescope and you look at that black hole, they said that hole out there to us, it looked like a black hole that is small because we are so far from it. Mm -hmm. But when you get close up on it, they said you can, you can send almost a, uh, you can send almost a universe through that hole. Mm. So they feel that that's where Yeshua is coming down through. So uh, when when you when you look at uh, uh, the, the the universe, you know, and you look at some of the ju books of Jubilee and books of Enoch, uh, they talk about how the sun uh, goes uh, through these gates and then it comes back and it yeah. keeps rotating back and forth through these gates. So. Uh, when we get out of the world, I don't think it's necessary to remove the dome. Just go through the gates that he's already prepared. Okay. Um, we have a question uh -huh. from a listener. And it reads, doesn't 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty eight prove the sonship of Yahushua in the post-creation chronology? It says, and when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the son also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him, that Yahuwah may be all in all. Do you think this verse also destroys the Trinity doctrine? Yeah, but, uh, what, what verse was that again? First uh, Corinthians chapter 15, verse 28. Verse twenty-eight. Yeah, uh, from what you read, yeah, it does substantiate that. Let me, well, let me see if I can add a little bit more to it. It said, "When all things shall be subdued unto Him, then the Son." Mm, yeah, that's beautiful. Okay, uh, thank you for that text because I can add that to my future discourse. <laughs> yeah, no, I had 
I hadn't taken that into consideration. And they might have a lot more like this, but I thank you for that. Yeah, that does substantiate it. Yeah, that puts it in a nutshell. Then shall the son also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him, that Elohim may be all in all. Yes, that's beautiful. Now, somebody's doing some studying now. That's that's good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that certainly uh, puts the post, uh, uh, post-creation in place of showing that Yeshua is still the son of Elohim. Yes, it certainly does. And does it, and it destroys the Trinity doctor? Uh, well, see, uh, this, yeah, it, it, yeah, it does destroy the Trinity doctrine, but see, one of the things, uh, uh, uh about, uh, about this is, is that when you deal, when you deal with the Trinarians, what 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 you are dealing with is you just like I've discussed things uh, to Trinarians, mm -hmm. and like one individual, he was telling me, he actually he gave me some tapes about the Trinity, but when I looked at the tapes, the tapes was talking about the Father and the Son, but it didn't say too much about the Holy Spirit. Now this text does destroy the Trinity, but only thing about it, it's only mentioned two individuals here. It's mentioned the Father and the Son. Mm -hmm. It doesn't say anything about the, the, the Holy Spirit. See, they say that the Holy Spirit is a God, the Son is a God, and the Father is, is God. Mm -hmm. See, And so it, it destroys some of the Trinity here, but in order to really get at the Trinity, you're going to have to also deal with the Spirit as well, which is not in this text. But it does, it is a text that can be used in the explanation of why there is not a Trinity, along with other texts, and then I think you would be able to bring it down. Okay. Well, I think with that, we will transition to our next segment. Mm-hmm. Up next is Let's Talk About That. This weekend, let's talk about it. As you know, we had a loved one passed over a year, about a year ago on today. And the person that passed is my dear mother and to the pastor, a dear wife. And I want to, one thing she was always adamant about, about be careful what you put in your bodies. And she always would say your body is a temple. So I want to talk about our bodies and what we should put into our bodies. So if you have your Bibles or you can look at the screen. I want to read 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. And it reads, What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Ruach Hokadesh, which is in you, which ye have of Elohim, and ye are not your own? For ye are brought with a price, therefore glorify Elohim in your body and in your Ruach, which are Elohim's. So, we are not ourselves, we do not, Elohim has uh, given us these bodies and we should treat it as a temple and take care of it. So, Pastor, I want to ask you this, are our bodies temporary loan to us while we're here on earth and if so if we do make it into the eternal kingdom will we uh receive a permanent body that okay. will be ours for eternity okay okay well what, what we're looking at in uh first corinthians uh chapter 6 19 and 20 is you say you're bought with a price so once he bought us mm -hmm. then uh we belong to somebody else and now we become stewards of our bodies and we should be able to treat our bodies, uh, especially in the way that we eat and uh, exercise and fresh air and all of the other things uh, that we talk about, the eight laws of health, you know, should be applicable, you know, to all to maintaining our body temple. Mm -hmm. Because if you taking care of something that somebody bought, it's like, if you, you had a servant, and in days of old they call them slaves, mm -hmm. or today you call them employees, then 
when you go to work for somebody, they have bought you. Mm, okay. You give them the labor, and they give you the money. Yeah. Okay. So if he's bought us, then we are his. And he says, now, now that I bought you, you man, therefore glorify Elohim in your body and in your spirit, which are Elohim's. So now what we are experiencing here is this. He said, now I want you to glorify me in your bodies. So how do we, how do, we do that? That means that we won't take in anything into our bodies that is inappropriate. Mm-hmm. And we know from the Torah, he teaches us if we're going to eat meat, what type of meats we eat. If they are on the ground, animals, or, or if they fly in the air like birds, or if they're in the water, mm-hmm. he, and if they're insects on the ground. He told us what to, he told us to eat, and we wouldn't put anything that he calls unclean into our bodies. You know, that's Leviticus uh, uh, 11. You know, we, would, we just wouldn't do that because this is not our body. We want to only put into it what the Torah tells us to put into it. Yeah. Okay. All right. Now, with that being said, let us turn to uh, in, in in Apostle Paul addresses uh, further in the same uh, book of First Corinthians. And this time, we want to go to First Corinthians uh, chapter fifteen. Uh, we were in there for a, earlier dealing with a text, but we're going to go back to that same uh, chapter, but different verses. And we want to look at uh, the fifteenth chapter. First uh, Corinthians, and in there we want to start with verse twenty, verse forty-two. That is, First Corinthians fifteen, verse forty-two. We want to start there. Now the Bible says, it says, "So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption and raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor and it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness and raised in power." It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a spiritual body and there is a, he said, there is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul and the last, Adam, was made a quickening spirit. Now, when he's talking about a quickening spirit, that means a lively spirit. In other words, the second Adam, we know, was Yeshua, the Messiah, who was the son of Elohim. Okay. How, in verse 46 says, How be it that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural, and afterward that which is spiritual. The first man is of the earth, earthly, and the second man is Yah from heaven. Mm. As the earthly, such are they also that are earthly, and as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the earthly, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Okay? okay. So it's telling us, yes, we're going we're gonna to have a, have a uh, even though we're here, we're going to have a, a, a different type of body. Okay, now we want to... Uh, also look at verse verse uh, 53, verse 53 of the same chapter, 15. Okay, and verse 53 says, for this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. Now, I want you to see two things in this verse, two things uh, to show you that we're going to have, have new bodies, okay? Now, when he talks about the, corrupt, the corruptible, mm-hmm. what is that talking about? That's talking about those who have died and gone into the grave. It's like my son was saying about uh, his mother and my spouse. Uh, She has deceased, but we can look forward to her uh, because she is corrupting now. She is corrupting. Okay. But he said this corruption is going to put on incorruption. Everyone who has died in Yeshua Mm -hmm. is corrupting in the grave. That's what they're doing. They're corrupting. Okay. But he says one day it's going to come, incorruption is going to take its place. So this is why we have the hope. We sorrow, we cried, we broke down, but we still have a hope. We don't sorrow as those who don't have hope. We have hope, okay? Yeah. And, and that hope is going to do away with the incorruption. And then it points out this, 
and this mortal shall put on immortality. What do you mean the mortal? All of us who are living are mortal. This is what you call mortal. Mm -hmm. Those of us who are living, we are mortal. In other words, anything that is mortal is capable of dying, but it's not dead yet. It's capable of dying. Okay. I'm capable of dying. And if Yeshua doesn't come, my day is coming. I, I know I'm going to have to lay down, but I hope I'm ready to lay down when I lay down. Yeah. Okay. You know, I, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not naive with life. Uh, I recognize that if Yeshua don't come, uh, uh, the word's going to get out. They're going to say, they're going to say, Pastor Washington, he's gone. <laughs> and I know that, but I want to get ready for the day. I want to get ready for it. And so when you talk about the mortar, you're talking about those of us who living. He said, if you living when I come, mm -hmm. you gonna, the mortar is going to put on immortality. Mm. That's what it's going to do. It's going to put on immortality. And, and, and well, let me, I think there's another text we want to put with that. Let us turn into the, let me see, what? I think that's Luke 11. Let's turn to Luke 11, I believe that is. Let me see if I can find the text. Uh, Luke 11. Let me see. Let's see. Uh, uh, let me see. No, that's not the one. Let me see. Let me see. Was it Luke or maybe it was John 11. I think it, I think it may have been John. Let's, Let's try John 11. Okay. Okay. I had Luke, but I think it's John. Okay. Let me see. Okay. All right. Yeah. I believe, believe, believe it's here in John, uh, the 11th chapter of John, the gospel or the Besorah of John. Yeah. All right. Here, here, here it says, uh, we are going down to verse, uh, 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 let's go to verse 23 to kind of get a little background on this. Here the Bible says in Genesis, I'm not Genesis, but John, the 11th chapter, starting with verse 23, it says, Yeshua saith unto her, thy brother shall rise again. And Martha said unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Yeshua said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth on me, though he were dead, Yet shall he live, and whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believeth thou this? Okay, so he's addressing the same thing that Paul was reflecting on, that if you dead, you're going to be resurrected. But then notice what he says. He said, he said, he that believeth on me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. You were dead, but you're going to live. But now notice how he deals in verse 26 with the living. And he says, whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. In other words, he's saying, if you're living and you believe in me and I come, you'll never die. So that's the mortal putting on immortality. And those who are dead is a corruption put on in incorruption. And we will have changed bodies. So we will have changed bodies. Now, mm -hmm. I just wonder, would these be the same bodies that Adam and Eve had prior to sin? Or will it? Or did they have a totally different body that was going to be totally renewed in something totally different? No, I think he's going to go about the same bodies that uh, Adam and Eve had. Cause okay. If, if they were perfect bodies, I mean, why would he? Why would he? Why would he want to change the model? True. Yeah, yeah. you know, same thing. Just like, uh, just like his laws and statutes, you know, that he gave to Moses. You know, I mean, it was the same for them. And when we get to new order of things, we're going to follow those same laws of agriculture and everything. You know, everything will be the same. It's just the only thing different is that sin is going to be wiped out of the universe. Yeah, true. Mm -hmm. All right, well, Pastor, can you take us to the throne as we get ready to close out this podcast for this week? I love it, Father Gan. We thank you that we could... Uh, come together again and just to have a Shabbat together to share your word. Your word is good. We like your word. And we ask that your word may assimilate within our lives to help the life of Yeshua to become a part of our lives through the person of the Holy Spirit that takes his life and interwoven into ours. And as we move now, Heavenly Father, to the Feast of Trumpets, it was on this eve, O oh, Heavenly Father, that our loved one passed and we still reflect upon her. We still grieve but not as those who would have no hope. 
And so as we look to you, O Heavenly Father, continue to inspire us and give us the things that we need, that when our time come, O Heavenly Father, we lay it down, that you can pick it up, and we will have that eternal existence. But in the meantime, help us to be faithful to the charge that you have given us. Bless each person on this line who have tuned in to listen that the power of the Holy Spirit may continue to grace their presence and do for them that which is needed. Bless those who've had loss of loved ones and sick individuals that you would give them the healing if you see fit. And for those who've laid to sleep, we ask, Lord, that they may rest in your hands at this time. Bless my host, O Heavenly Father. Bless me. Bless each listener and our families that as we look to you, that we can prepare ourselves for the second coming. And as we witness to others, O Heavenly Father, may your grace be able to help them to see that your son is really your son. In Yeshua's name, we do ask it. And for his dear sake, we do pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen. You know, uh, before we go, I just want to say, too, that as you see everything that's unfolding on this planet, we know things are starting to uh, wind down and come to an end. And we have to really start working on ourselves to make sure that we can make it into the eternal kingdom. We don't know when he's come, just like my dad said, that at, uh, at some point we all may have an expiration date, our number. But if we don't expire by the time he come, we want to be ready to be accepted to embrace the eternal life. I can't think of anything on this planet that's worth me wanting to stay here and want to be here is nothing here. You know, the only thing I can say is for me, myself, I look forward and hopefully I make it into the eternal kingdom to be able to embrace all that he has to come. Also, we still want to remind you on Wednesday, September the 28th, we are celebrating a feast of trumpets at 1 p.m. and at 7 p.m. Again, Wednesday, September the 28th, at 1 p.m. and 7 p.m. And we will be celebrating the Day of Atonement on October the 7th and Feast of Tabernacles October the 12th and the 19th. Uh, stay tuned for the times we will be having uh, live streaming our celebration. That is our podcast for this week. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to email us at thescienceofthecovenant at gmail.com. O seed of Yasharel, his servant, ye children of Yaakov, his chosen ones, he is Yahuwah Eloheinu, his judgments are in all the earth. Be ye mindful always of his covenant, the word which he commanded to a thousand generations. Until next week, Shalom.